be thou the glorious answer to all of my questionings. Isn't that our prayer? That in all things, that God is the answer to everything we question. I have to tell you the story of what was going on in my mind when I turned on the TV and found that suddenly in a, in a marathon, there was an explosion. Um, and it was particularly close to my heart because I had just completed my first half marathon and am still training for my first marathon next year. And, um, and if you know anything about running in a race, there's something about being in a marathon, there's something about being in this kind of race that has this sense of optimism, that has this sense of, 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 of if there's anything you thought you couldn't do, today you're going to prove to yourself that you can do this. I remember running um, a race once, and as I was running, um, somebody uh, put up a sign to make people laugh as they were going through the sixth mile, and it said, run faster, I just farted. And people were talking about that until, <laughs> and all the way at the finish line, because it was things like that, just people making all kinds of signs just to say, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And it was those same people who were targeted um, um, during the explosion. And I remember seeing um, the pictures. Um, and I remember hearing um, stories. And, um, and then as we sang that song, God, just be the answer to all of my questionings. Because there are moments where I just don't know how to find an answer when something like this happens. And as I was, as I was reading through the book of Re Revelation, we are, we are here in um, our stained glass series, and, and if you look up um, at our church, we have uh, the story of, of redemption, the story of salvation, starting from creation all the way to the cross and when Jesus comes again. And we are right now in, 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 in the story of the churches, and we are talking about the churches through the first, um, uh, through the book of Revelation, as we are talking about the seven, the seven letters in the book of Revelation. And I really found a lot of comfort, actually. Who says that? I found comfort in the book of Revelation. But I found so much comfort in knowing that God tells us the end of the story. I do this silly thing. Um, when I read books and I really get into them, I flip to the last page because I want to know how it ends. I want to know what the outcome is going to be. And even if it doesn't make any sense, sometimes I look for particular characters to see if they're still alive at the end. And, um, and there's this book that I read called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the second habit says to begin with the end in mind. This one guy was talking about beginning with the end in mind. He was a professor at Stanford in their business school. And he said, you know, at the very end of the day, I want people to know that I was an amazing person. And on my tombstone, I want it to read. And he said his name. And then he said this phrase, loving husband, father, and friend. He said, isn't that great? 
Isn't that an amazing thing for people to say? At the end of my life, they're going to say that I was a loving husband, a loving father, and a loving friend. But I live my life as if my tombstone would say, and he said his name. And instead of saying loving husband, loving father, loving friend, he said, always returned emails promptly. And he said, now why is it that we don't live with the end in mind, that we don't live the way we want people to remember us? One of the most comforting phrases was the first phrase of our scripture that was read, that was read today, and it says um, that Jesus is the one that, that is the first um, and the last. And it says that Jesus is the one that holds the, the seven stars in his hands and walks among the seven lampstands. And for me, that's so comforting because as we're going to read through these books, we're going to learn that there are some tough stuff that, that, that these seven churches are going through. But it is God who holds the messengers, those angels, those messengers in his hand, in his right hand, that hand of power and authority. God holds him in his right hand. And not only does he hold the messengers in his right hand, but God also walks among the lampstands which represent the churches. God is in the midst of whatever they're going through. And so today, we will be talking about God in the midst of pain. And the title of our sermon today is Life and the Second Death. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our God and our Father, we need you. We need you. We need you now. And God, may you be the answering to all of our questionings. May you be the one that we lean on, that we rely on, and that we can always trust in God. We need you today. Amen. I remember taking a class on the book of Revelation, and our teacher went around and she asked us, what is the first word you think of when you hear the book of, the Re uh, when you hear, um, of the book of Revelation? And she said, tell me, just, just say any word. And she went around the room, and people said prophecy and death and fear and dragon and my word was scary. And it was, it, was like, it was like the one thing we knew of was the hellfire and the death and people screaming and running for shelter and suddenly the voiceover saying, you can run, but you can't hide. And the teacher responded saying, but this is a revelation of Jesus. The title is, this is, this is a revealing of Jesus. And she said, we have to remember not to get lost in all of the scary things and to put those as, as, as the things that we remember because there are more acts of worship in the book of Revelation than there are in the entire New Testament combined. In the book of Revelation, there are more opportunities for us to see God being worshipped by people than the entire New Testament. This says something not only about prophecy, but it says something about how God is being worshipped right now, and it gives us an opportunity to take a look in the throne room of God. A glimpse in the throne room of God is, is, is in one of my favorite chapters in the book of Revelation, which is 
Revelation chapter 4, and it talks about these four scary creatures, and, and, and it's in the midst of, of this glorious place, they are bowing down and they are worshiping God. In Revelation chapter 4, it says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is, and who is to come. And then in Revelation chapter 5, it says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth to receive wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and forever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and they worshiped God. Here as we read through the letters of these beginning scenes in the book of Revelation, these scenes give us a picture of the end. And in the picture of the end, it reminds us a little bit more of the character of God and how God always gives us a choice, shows us our possibilities, and says, look, you can do whatever you want. I want you with me. And you can do whatever you want. But when I come back at the end of time, I just don't want you to say that you had no idea how it would turn out in the end. Historically, we have Adventists have focused on the interpretation of this um, letter through the prophecies in, in time periods and how the seven letters reveal the different time periods in the church. And the first letter is known to, to be the apostolic church, the church of the apostles, and, and, and all of the things that happened there. And, and the second letter is the church of the fathers, the persecuted church, and all of the things that they were going through there. And today we're going to examine two of these letters, the first two letters, a little bit more closely, and listen to God, what God was saying to the people that the book was written to. What God was saying about the prophetic time and what God is saying to us today. Revelation chapter 2 says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, The word of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found themselves to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you first did. If I, 
If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. In each of these, in each of these letters, we have a description of who God is. And that description is taken from what we heard Pastor Gary share with us about who God is in chapter 1. We know about the divine knowledge of God. In every one of his letters, he says, I know I know what's going on. I know what you're going through. I know how you're suffering. I know what's difficult. I know, I know, I know. And then there is the reprimand. If you don't change this, something is going to happen that you are not going to like. There is the praise, the if I I see what you're doing and this is in what you're doing in your life is amazing and this is what you're doing in your church and that's great and I love that you guys are doing that and then the blessing and if you remain faithful through this is what you will receive as we hear in this particular letter the description of who God is it says God describes himself as the words of, of uh, This is the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the golden lampstands, a God who is present, a God who is in control, a God who is there in the midst of what some people may um, see as the reason to question whether or not God is there. And he says to the angels, and, and he, he speaks um, to the angels and sends these angels, these messengers, to these seven churches. But in the midst of all of that, God is walking even alongside those whom he sends as messengers. And then there's the divine knowledge. God says, I know what you're going through. I know your works. I know your toil. I know your patient endurance and how you cannot bear those who are evil. I know. And the reprimand, the place of improvement, that place where he says, but you've lost your first love. I don't know if you guys have ever been at a place in your life where you fell in love, like absolutely just fell in love with Jesus. And not just knowledge about who Jesus is, or not just knowledge about the church, or not knowledge about what it is to live in the Christian life, but to actually fall in love with Jesus, and to want Jesus to be the center of all your life, and and, and to want to make your decisions according to what you feel God is calling you to do. And then suddenly this position, this job, this friendship, this relationship comes into your life, and you forget you forget about God a little bit, and, and, and you move him from the center of your life to the outskirts, to the, to the outer parts of your life, and you put something else right there in the middle. 
And suddenly when those things start to fall apart, when family starts to fall apart, when your friends leave you, when that relationship isn't as strong as you need it to be right now in your life, excuse me, when it's not where you want it to be, when those things that you thought you could depend on aren't dependable anymore, You begin to ask God, why, God, why did this happen? Why am I suffering these things? Why is this going on in my life? Why are my friends and family dying? Why are my children in the hospital? Why doesn't anybody know what's wrong with me? Why can't they find a cure? Why am I losing my home? Why can't I provide for my family? Why, why aren't my kids coming to church? Why is everything around me falling apart, God? And as I read this letter, I recognize that those ideas that the Christian walk is supposed to be easy without any difficulties is a lie. That that notion that for some reason, if you just pray hard enough, if you read your Bible every day, you will never go through any difficulty, is a lie. Because God is saying to this first church, I know your toils, I know your difficulties, and yet describes himself as a God who is in the midst of the lampstands. And God calls himself to be in the midst of the toil. And so suddenly, when we are realizing that the reason that all of this stuff is falling apart isn't whether or not I'm a Christian, but the thing that makes Christianity just a little bit different is the fact that when everything else is falling apart, I'm not falling apart on the inside. When everything else around me fails, when, when everything I depended on begins to shake inside, I know that my dependence on God will get me through. And so I can see why God says, and to, to, to this church that if they don't get it together, he'll remove the lampstand because other things are taking priority, because other things are at the center. And even though they have great hearts, when something else is in the center and it begins to filter or penetrate through the lives of the people in the church, And it becomes, it becomes a, a, begins to become a culture. God needs to remove that lampstand from its place. Because what message am I giving when I take God out of the center of my life? What message am I showing to other people when I have lost my first love? And God goes on to say to this church that 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 there is a sense of urgency. Within this time period, in the book of Acts, we read about the racism that happens quickly within the church between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Greek widows are being overlooked in the distribution of food because of their race, 
because they're different, because Jews are more holy than Greeks are. And we also find out that Peter himself has removed himself from, from, from even eating or sharing at, uh, food at a table with the Greeks. And, and, and Paul has to reprimand him because he refused to eat with people who weren't Jewish. It's only been a decade, two decades, since Jesus himself had left. And they're already thinking they're better than others. He says, but I have this, I have this, um, that, that I, 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 you have this, it says, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And it's, it, we're not really clear exactly who they are, but in, in the book of Revelation, there are so many um, references to the Old Testament because we have to remember that this was a, this was a, a, a long letter that was given. This, this hadn't yet become a part of the Bible or a part of the canon. This, this, is, this is a letter that people are just receiving for the first time. And so, so John is making several references to what they knew as the Bible, what we now call the Old Testament. And he is making a reference saying that, that um, to the Nicolaitans and, 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 and almost comparing their, her, them with Jezebel or with Balaam or what happened with Elijah when, when all of these people, all of these prophets were suddenly fleeing, were suddenly, were suddenly disappearing because they were all being put to death for not worshiping Balaam. But nevertheless, there were those few who wouldn't conform. And this, and this worship. And, and, you know, in that time they had, they had these, um, like, emperor, like, the, the emperors had temples. At, at each one of these seven churches, emperors had, had, had churches, and you had to, like, you had to, to, to worship the emperor and make sacrifices to the emperor. And if you weren't making these sacrifices to them, then you were seen as somebody who was going against society. And not only society, you were causing havoc, and you were, and you were a threat to the empire. And so I could see why people could say, well, let's go ahead and, and just make a few um, sacrifices here and there. I'm sure no one is really going to care because, you know, everybody has to do this. And, and, and suddenly the church is compromised. But God says, you've tested these people and you've found them to be false. And that's awesome. And that's amazing. And you've discovered that life is sometimes a little bit more difficult than you had anticipated as a Christian. In the church of Smyrna, it says, And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews, but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. 
Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Again, God describes himself as the first and the last, as the one who died and came to life. And if you are a part of a church and if you are part of a society that, that constantly was under fear of, of persecution, where people would treat you differently, would treat you disrespectfully, would be able to harm you, and it would be socially acceptable because you called yourself a follower of the Christ. What words of comfort would it be that these are the words of the one who was the first word and the last word, the one who died but came back to life and overcame death? He says, I know your tribulation, that divine knowledge of knowing that I know that you're going through tough things. I know that you're being treated in ways that people should never treat anyone. And I know that because of this, you are impoverished. But let me remind you that you are more rich than they are, that you are richer than they will ever be. And that they slander those who say that they are Jews but are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And when I read that, that just blew me away. The synagogue of Satan, he's specifically speaking to Jewish leaders. And Jesus had actually done that as well, as well as John the Baptist. John the Baptist said um, that they were a brood of vipers. He called the synagogue leaders saying, you brood of vipers, who warned you to come against the, 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 the upcoming wrath? Who warned you to come and be here and hear this message? And Jesus himself said to the chief priests and to the officers of the temple who, um, who were coming out against him to take him to be crucified, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs when I was with you day after day in the temple, but you did not lay a hand on me? But this is your hour. This is your hour and the power of darkness. And it, it, it is not un, uncommon for them to continue in this comparison that, that, that these people who are Jewish leaders within the church but are causing chaos and havoc and are trying to get people to come away from God so that they can be better themselves, so they can have self-glorification, so that they can, can have an, a, a higher standing in society. And calling them those who belong to the synagogue of Satan. And here is where the reprimand comes. But there is none for this church. None. And there's one more church that doesn't have a reprimand either. I mean, how could they have time to not have it right? How could they have time when they are so busy fighting for their beliefs in God? Sometimes it's when we have time to sit down and not have busy hands that we find other things to busy our hand 
that cause havoc within the church, that cause havoc within the relationships of people in the church. It's often people that point fingers at others when they have nothing to do themselves. And when we aren't busy doing the work of God, when we aren't busy blessing other people and trying to make someone else's life better, when we aren't busy standing for something, we are standing for absolutely nothing and blaming other people for not getting it right. But not here. Their hands are busy. They don't have time. And God says to them, It's not a reprimand, it's just going to happen. You're going to be thrown into prison and you're going to have, you're going to be tested and, and you're going to be put to death, but even in the midst of that death, I want you to be faithful. And I can't imagine what it's like to be in that kind of a situation. I have a, a, a person that I met, and, 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 and they go into countries, and they, 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 they try to give out Bibles and try to share the message of God to people who've never heard them, uh, of God before. And, and, and as he was telling the story about this friend that he wanted some of us to pray for, he was saying, he just went missing, and I know he's dead. And we'll never find his body, and we'll never be able to bury him, and we'll never be able to lay him to rest. But I know that he died doing the work of God. I went to a convention the other day where, where a woman says that she puts her life at risk every time she goes in to a raid to free slaves. She was telling us that in the world, there are more slaves today than ever before. 27 million people are enslaved and, 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 and people are, are stolen, taken from their family. And human trafficking is one of the biggest things that is, 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 is going on. It's, it's a moneymaker. It's, it's something that dehumanizes people and it just grabs them. And I just, I'm sorry, I just get so... How could you take a person's life and tell them that they are invaluable? What would it be like to be that person? And she goes in and she, she does, she was talking about these raids that she does and she, she was talking about how every time she goes in, she kisses her husband goodbye and she kisses her family goodbye and she says goodbye to her children and she can give them no guarantee that she's coming back. All because she feels that it is her calling in life to set the captives free. It is her calling in life to hear the situations that, that are going on in, this, in, in places like this church of Smyrna, and she's going in there, and she is putting her life on the line for someone else, and she is being faithful unto death, and she says, I know that one day I may never come home. But despite that, I don't live for this life. Because this life isn't the end. And so I want my life today to count. I want my life today to be meaningful. I want my life today to not be something that is monotonous, 
to not be something that is about me and my, my self-gratification. It's not about me. It's about living in such a way that my life shows people that there is a God who is walking amidst the lampstand, who is the first word and the last word, who has died but has overcome death. And I trust that even in my death, that God will be faithful to me. And God says, be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. He who has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And, and I, I hear this almost as if God is pleading, if you have any inclination to what the Spirit of God is saying, if you have any inclination to wanting to hear what the Spirit has to say to you, he who has an ear, let them hear. And the one who conquers, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Some of us have friends and family members who we know aren't going to make it to Christmas. They may not make their next birthday. And some of us are sitting by the phone wondering, is this phone call going to be the one? Some of us have just lost loved ones recently. Within the past year, the number of us who have lost those who we love is... How do you put a number to the ones we love? They're not numbers, they're names. They're not just names, they were a part of my life. And some of us are just struggling to get by day to day. We're just struggling to wake up in the morning and brush our teeth. And if we get out of the house, we're lucky. But I want to remind you that in the midst of the darkness, of the fear, of the frustration and the sense of hopelessness, in the midst of all of that, that God is still there. Walking, holding you up. I saw a, a take on that poem, um, the, the, what is it, Footprints in the Sand, and, and, and I don't know if, if you know it, but, but, but Jesus uh, is talking to someone and they say, Jesus, you know, I see that there's where we were walking through life, but then suddenly there's, um, there's a set of footprints and it's only one. Why did you leave me then? And Jesus says to, them, to, that, to that individual, Jesus says, well, you see, my son, my daughter, that's when I had to carry you. And then there's a little joke added to the end and those little slidey marks, that's when I had to drag you a little bit. And 
and we question and we ask God, where are you? But God never promised that, that the reason that we would know that he's there is because everything is going perfectly. But what God did promise is in the midst of the imperfection, in the midst of the, of the turmoil of life, he will be there walking. And when you can't walk anymore, if you just let him, he'll pick you up and carry you all the way through. There's a song that I wanted to share with you that's pretty meaningful to me. And um, sometimes we want to solve our own problems. Sometimes we want to just take care of things ourselves. And especially when things are going wrong, we want to come up with an answer. But God says to us, just be still for a moment and let me do the work. Hide under my wings and let me cover you with my hand. scary thing for those of us who look for the scary things in it. But someone once told me that each verse in scripture is like God writing a love letter to our soul. 
there's this movie where a guy says to this, um, to anybody who's going through a hard time, he says, it'll all work out in the end. And if it doesn't work out, it's not the end. Hence Jesus. It was born into poverty, became a homeless rabbi, was loved by the people, hated by the leader, leaders, betrayed by friends, by a friend, and died a horrific and treacherous death. It didn't work out. But that's not the end of the story. Because he rose and, 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 he, and he said, I'm coming back for you. And for some of us, it's not working out. But let me remind you, that is not the end of your story either. Because at the end of the book of Revelation, it says, and, and the new heaven and a new earth came down. And then that, that, that new heaven and that new earth in the midst of all of that that was going on, it said that Jesus would wipe away every tear from our eyes. And that's the God I believe in. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't, I don't know what you're coming here with. We all have our things. But if you just need to give something to God today, I want to invite you to do that. If you want to get to know this God that we're talking about, we have, we have some, some, some paper in the pews. You just hand something to me. Um, hand something to Pastor Gary at the door. And we'll call you and we'll contact you. We'll pray with you. We'll get through this together. Because Christianity is just about living life together, supporting each other together. And, and we don't always get it right, but we're going to do it. And we're going to trust that God is walking amidst the lampstand of this church. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our God and our Father, we need you. We need you in every aspect of our lives, God, and we specifically need you in certain aspects of our lives, God. And each individual here has a different place, God, but we want to give those things to you. And we want to just ask that in the midst of, of everything that's going on, God, would you just let us know that you're here. Help us to fully depend on you. Help us to never let go of you, God. And we know that the Christian walk is never easy, but in the midst of it, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of everything around us falling apart, we want to know that you're with us, and in the inside, we're not falling apart because we have you. We love you, and all God's people said.